0: Welcome to the Emerging Biotech Leader, where we help biotech leaders maximize the value of their therapeutics from translational development to product launch. We're your hosts. I'm Kim Kushner.
1: And I'm Ramin Farhood. We are here to help you navigate the pitfalls of the biotech industry and illuminate the path forward.
0: Hi, this is Adam Schwartz, president of SSI Strategy, stepping in for Kim Kushner, who's out on maternity leave this week. And I'm here with Ramin Farhood. And Bennett Maru. Bennett is a senior vice president of our medical team at SSI Strategy, uh, currently acting chief medical officer at a a client and participating in helping in a number of uh, medical uh, issues for for a number of our clients. And we're here to debrief on our conversation from the last episode with Victoria Nicholas, who's the chief medical officer of Oak Hill Bio. So thanks so much for for joining uh, Ramin and I, Bennett. No worries. Happy to be here. One of the things I was thinking we could potentially jump into first, we obviously had a you know sort of long ranging conversation with with Victoria spanning much of her her career and and what she's been doing recently at Oak Hill Bio. But I thought one concept that was really interesting about the early part of her career as she moved into pharma was her decision making process of coming out of academia and into pharma uh, and having to sort of think through and and combat this kind of message and, and concept of, of being a sellout, and if moving from academia into pharma somehow, you know, has this negative connotation to it. And I know, Bennett, that's something you've had to go through yourself a little bit. W- wondering if you have any thoughts or maybe a, a different take or similar to Victoria.
2: Yeah, no, you know, just everything that she was saying kind of resonated um, quite a lot, actually. And you know, that that perception, unfortunately, of of selling out it is it, still there and i think it is there with kind of you know the the old guard let's say whether it's you know the medics or the or the ac- academics you know my own experience i was warned you know if you leave you're never going to be able to come back you know you're kind of in an institute you know especially in neurology in a very specific area of neurology um what i will say though is i do think that there is a bit of a nuance in terms of how it is perceived because i think you know with her background and her experience The experience she brings and her actually wanting to put patients first is helping break that barrier of actually being a a sellout, you know, in in air quotes or just being after the money. I do think sometimes because, you know, she made this comment, you know, like you're going to be biased, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. You know, she kind of talked around that. I do think if somebody has come straight out of medical school or whatever it may be, they're less politically aware. And, you know, that's no disrespect to them. It's just more they just haven't had that you know grounding whereas you've gone through the system you've gone through academia you know kind of you know when to say what to say what not to say um and i do think bringing that level of rigor is actually needed in industry and i think you know it's people like her um that are helping change the perception you know that it's not all just about being being in it for the money
0: right it's almost almost like her being part of the team becomes part of the solution right so obviously many physicians and scientists are going to come straight from medical school or their PhD into the industry. But the more we have a balanced approach and we have folks also coming from academia and the more experience they've had there, they kind of have a different perspective maybe. And so they're bringing something different to the industry.
2: Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent agree. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, that she talked about the bias and things, I like do like, no, we have rigor, you know, it, it, Ethical development, for example. And if you're kind of bringing that in and you're bringing that in from the industry perspective and you're applying the rigor, you know, that you've applied, whether it be in, you know, in clinics or in in academia um, and you're and it is absorbed. It's taken. Right. People do listen to you as well. And you're saying, you know. There are some differences, which, you know, she talked to in terms of how she needed to get up to speed in things. You know, everything's at 3 million miles an hour. That, you know, th- there is that nuance. But applying that rigor um, and having the standing to do that, I, I do think actually adds credence to what you're doing. I, I do think that that's a boon for for the industry.
1: I agree. And, and I agree with you, Bennett, uh, 100%. percent i I actually seen that the individuals that are really successful when they do make that transition, uh coming from academia and being a research scientist coming to the pharma is that they become that voice they almost bridge the industry and the academia together uh in a very powerful and beneficial way for for the patient they become that voice that face they're they bring in their expertise with them uh to educate also the pharma on the on the industry side to making sure that they understand what's really important to the to the patient, what's really important to the study, and uh, and all of the knowledge that they bring to with them, it's is absolutely necessary for success of uh, of the industry
0: um, as well. And mean, what what I guess what about that point about the patients? You guys both kind of highlighted that as sort of a key piece, and I know Victoria talked about uh, this perspective that you're deserting the patients by. Not being as close to them when you step out of an academic perspective. And she obviously had a thought about it that obviously the relationship changes, but you're still focused on the patients. And in some ways, maybe even you can have a broader impact on more patients, right? Because you don't have this one to one relationship. What's, what's your guys experience with that? And I don't, Bennett in particular, I think you're still actually involved in some patient related act more directly, right? Outside of you know, uh, your, your efforts at Yeah.
2: And, and I think, um, I, I think some, it is true. You kind of do have that feeling like, you know, you're day in, day out, you're in the clinic, you're, you know, on the bedside, you, you know, you're doing your multidisciplinary team meetings, you're, you're helping those individual patients. And, and it is a challenge to think I'm letting them down, but, but, you know, in, in hindsight, you're not because, you're going up a notch and you're actually able to make a difference, not just at your local level or your regional level, but more, much more on a global level. You know, you may be one of the lucky few that is able to get involved in guideline development and those guidelines are then applicable, you know, across the world, but that is a rare few clinicians, that isn't everybody. Um, but being able to work, you know, and have, have basically, <laughs> essentially you know, the, the world is your oyster in that sense and being able to kind of change the landscape globally outside of what your pocket is. i think that's something else as well for me for example i, I was only ever in in adults so, you know i'd only ever treated adults i did some pediatric training but being able to work in areas that i'd never thought i'd be able to and actually you know to have developed therapies in you know devastating pediatric diseases that that is something completely different as well so i do think there's a fulfillment in the Overall, and I think being able to kind of translate that experience, because you know what it's like, you know, when you're delivering bad news to the family, to the, you know, whomever it may be, you take you take that feeling because it, 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 it is a sucker punch, right? It genuinely is. It's like it's one of the hardest things you'll ever have to do, but you carry that with you. And then applying that knowledge in terms of how you communicate and how you communicate with it to advocacy. Because, you know, she talked about working with advocacy, still being heavily involved. And think that everything you've learned from the shop floor is extreme, extremely useful moving forward. So you're not really, you, you're you not directly with them. You're still having much more of an impact with the patients. Right.
1: And you miss your patients, right? I mean, you especially if you're in a chronic disease. I mean, the patients have been your patients. Some of them from... A, very young age until, and, and you see them, you know, go to, go, grow through life and go through life and uh, with their chronic disease. Um, and obviously you're going to miss them. It's hard to give them that message that you are moving on to to something and a role that is not necessarily going to have that day to day. And your patients are going to also miss you quite a bit too, and they probably may not be happy, but it's for a bigger cause. And and I think that's that's the main driver for a lot of the Folks that I've seen that they make that decision to go from, uh, their academia to the, uh, to the industry for that global kind of an impact that Bennett was referring to. That's, I think that's kind of like one of the key drivers for them that they want to, they want to bring that knowledge, expertise as a much, much more impact and a higher level to the, to the society. And, and that's, that's, that's still a hard, there's a feeling part to it that is, is, is hard right um but it's also at the same time it's necessary to do
2: i think with that as well you know just it's true it it is difficult but i think you know going back to like you know there's lessons that you've learned you know that having to deliver bad news whatever it may be kind of being really cautious in your messaging that is something you know that obviously comes into the the biotech arena as well because you know she talked about the guarded optimism You know, when she mentioned guarded optimism, to me, that resonated quite a lot, especially because you may have hope for a patient, you may not, you need to kind of think what you need to do. But that actually does apply in the biotech side as well, because, you know, you have to be mindful of what you're saying, of how you're saying, you know, you may see some early data that's coming in. It may be extremely, you know, it it may look great, but you don't want to get ahead of yourself. And to me, remembering those scenarios, you know, where you kind of. Have to be really careful what you say to a patient. That to me is a parallel where you think, okay, this this is good, but I just need to be careful. And that is kind of you know that guarded optimism piece. I, I that's quite a good phrase actually. I, yeah, I,
0: I, I like that. I like that as well. It also resonated with me that just I feel like in medicine in general, and especially when you're talking about developing new therapies. You have to be an optimist. You have to be optimistic. Otherwise, you wouldn't be thinking of these ideas. You wouldn't be taking the steps to even try to get there if you weren't optimistic about the idea. But at the same time, we have to be realistic and we have to be understanding what the limitations are of what we can do, right? Otherwise, we're going to leaps that maybe are inappropriate. And so you have to have this kind of guardedness to the optimism in order to make sure that you're grounded in, in some reality, right. And waiting and taking the appropriate steps to test the science and prove things out before you're, you know, sort of just, just running. Ahead. I thought that was a really interesting thread.
1: You know, I was wondering uh, Bennett, with you working with uh, with many clients as an acting acting CMO or, or some of the clients that already have a CMO in place and, and you partner with them, um, especially if they're early on in their career, uh, there's a, there's a scientific aspects to what we do. And then there's also a business aspect, right? And, and what are the, some of the challenges that, that you see that some of the CMOs go through or even you as an acting CMO with, with a lot of our clients? How do you, how do you bring that into the, uh, to the executive team and how do you deal with that?
2: I think one of the challenges that, that I've seen, I mean, I've experienced it myself as well. And you know, this kind of does relate to that guarded optimism is you kind of have to be extremely mindful of, and you, you need to be extremely aware of your audience. You need to know who you're speaking to, right? So if you're kind of in amongst your peers at that C-suite, you need to give them just enough information but you don't need to go into that level of detail you don't want to you know it's kind of that thirty thousand foot view but then you know with one sentence or two sentences which gives you you know that 10 foot view and then back up again that needs to be something that's actually extremely important and i do think that people can sometimes struggle with that i mean i struggle with that at the beginning of my career but, you know um and currently i think that's where People will struggle. Uh, people are struggling at the moment as well in terms of the level of messaging, you know, how granular do you need to be too scientific, not scientific enough. I think that's one of the challenges. So it's communication, I guess, Ramin, you know, and knowing the audience and how to communicate. And I think that's some brilliant people out there. And I think sometimes they just get tripped up in terms of how, how it's communicated. In my experience, you know, people that have had, you know, a lot of experience in development, but also medical affairs, that's a really interesting and nuanced kind of, you know, training and background because you kind of, you know, from a medical education perspective, you know, all your KOL engagements, you have a different, you know, you know, the audience, you're not going to go and teach a KOL the disease because they know that, right? You find different ways of talking to them. And you, if, you've, if you've only ever done development, you may not have that nuance. So I do think, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. What's been your stepping stone? Because you know, she went into you know the the, the milk company first, and then into She was a medical; she was working for medical affairs. So her tenure within industry is actually is is good for her because you know she can get into the weeds, she can come back out. She knows the type of messaging that she needs to give. She did make a comment around, obviously, you know, investors, you know, <laughs> and you know, being mindful of what you message there. But but I think one of the going back to what you asked. I do think it's getting the messaging right. I think that's where CMOs struggle. And I think CMOs also struggle in knowing when to ask for help, especially if you're quite a junior CMO, because every, you think it's all on your shoulders and it's gonna look bad if you're asking people for help. So they're, they're the struggles that, that I have seen. And I think with maturity, you do get that, you know. She she worked in that neonatal clinic where you have lots of different experts, you know, of different disciplines. She's got no problem asking people for help because that's what their expertise is. And this goes to my point of like somebody that's actually got quite a good tenure in medicine and in academia, they're comfortable in asking for help when needed. You may not have that with somebody that's gone straight into industry. So again, it's another plug of that bridge that can help.
0: Yeah, I think there's like two threads that you brought up there that are really interesting, Bennett. One is is this idea of like the the CMO in particular, they have to really be able to work in a multifunctional kind of environment. And they have a lot of different stakeholders that they're dealing with. Right. And some (laughs) of those stakeholders may have an appetite or understanding of more scientific nuance and information or they may need more scientific and nuanced information. Right. Depending upon their role in the organization or what they're going to be participating in. And right. And then others might need it at a higher level because they're either more in a business function or. And in Victoria's point, like maybe from an investor perspective. Right. And so on the investor perspective, you know, she talked about this idea of providing clarity and certainty to them. So you need to have kind of a clear plan and you need to be certain in the approaches that you're going to be taking to be reassuring to them but obviously also needs to be tethered in reality because you need to be giving them a good picture of of what you're talking about and you know you really as the cmo you need to be you know kind of dialing all that information right based on what do i need to share with this stakeholder what do they need in order to be able to execute and understand and help me in the right way right and then the other piece that you brought up was just the idea of delegation right and there's so many functions that you're performing in terms of a CMO, you need to be able to rely on a team around you because no CMO is going to be great at everything that part of their responsibility.
1: The, the interesting and the difficulty is that, that the whole company expects that you know all the answers, <laughs> right? <Yes>. And that's <laughs> a lot of pressure, right? You go, to the, you go to the board of directors, they expect that you know all the answers. You're, you're in front of the investors, the investors are, are asking you a question, they expect that you know all the answers. And, and we all know that the science is not black and white. You're, you're, it's not always all good or all bad, yeah. and, and there's yeah. really something between. uh So even being able to kind of tease out what you're going to communicate and how you're going to communicate it, and a lot of times, quite honestly, you need you need more data to to be more, you know, your your messaging be more confirmed, and, and that's a challenge too as well, right, Bennett?
2: It is. No, no, one hundred percent agree. And I think you know, just. just- Prepare the best you can. I mean, you know, she said also, you know, one of the things like there's no book on how to be a CMO, you know, she speaks to peers, colleagues and friends that have been there. And I think that is probably one of the best, you know, just speak to people. They'll share information with you and they'll say to you, like, you could be in completely different in, you know, different area of medicine, but investors will usually ask questions, you know, around certain themes. So don't be afraid to ask people what were the themes, you know, not giving away any confidential information, but just get prepared. Right. And the fact that, you know, having that network and, you know, the fact that she's offering to help people is brilliant because she's had that help herself. And again, that's not necessarily delegation, but it's knowing where your weaknesses are and actually saying, look, this is where I need some more information. This is where I need more support. So just build a framework around, Okay, well, so if there's these themes that are coming out from these types of investors, these are the questions that I could be asked, you know, related to the product that I'm working on. I mean, you're right. You know, science is evolving but if you have an idea of you know what the themes are you should be prepared ultimately in that sense right as well so i do think all of that does tie in together but again it's it, it's just having that confidence to reach out to people and actually ask to say this is what you know uh, you know this is happening it's the first time i've ever done this you know do you have any input do you have any help and again going back like I think CMOs fail because they're too scared to do that for whatever reason.
1: Right. No, I remember that when when we had to go to the board, and this was this was a practice that we learned. I mean, you always learn by your mistakes, right? Yeah. Is that <laughs> we we, we kind of got ahead of it, and we asked the CEO, "Well, where is what is the board interested in? What do they want to know about this study? Right? What are, what are some of the thinkings? What are some of the because we we were not necessarily on a daily communication with the board, but but the yep. CEO was and And that helped us quite a bit to prepare as as you mentioned that is so so important, and as simple as it sounds, it's something that we don't we don't do enough of it because we are busy. It's not like we don't think of it, but we are busy until the day of the presentation or the investor meeting or whatever the case will be. But the practice makes it such a big difference, and also understanding what your audience is asking out there so you can you can actually practice and and uh be ready and prepared based on what they're interested in, not based on what you want to communicate. And then those two may be sometimes not quite quite aligned and, and
0: challenging. Yeah, it's an interesting point. It actually was making me think about, like if we, if we get a little bit practical around some of it, something that I don't really see in the medical office, or at least you know many CMOs doing, that is kind of a discipline that you could maybe borrow from change management or communications practices is this whole idea of like, stakeholder mapping, message mapping, like thinking through what is my stakeholder engagement strategy overall, right? Who do I need to message to? What information am I messaging to them? And then thinking through that entire approach, right? So you could have, well, here are the key things that we're going to need to regularly be communicating to the board, to the rest of the C-suite, to my team, to the rest of the organization to advocacy organizations, to other external stakeholders, to investors, right? And you could map all of those things out and be thinking about, you know, what granularity and level of data that you need. I think we do that probably informally in many different ways, but I really haven't seen a medical team doing that in a very robust way outside of maybe medical affairs where it's a very communications focused orientation, right? So I don't don't often see the CMO doing that.
2: No, you don't. And I think that's why kind of, you know, CMOs that have had some kind of med affairs background or experience does help because obviously they've got, you know, they've, they've got that, they they know that structure and that's kind of where that sometimes helps. But again, that doesn't mean that, you know, you have to have med affairs background training. I just think it helps ultimately. And, you know, with some of the folks that I've worked with and supported, you know, that are new CMOs that don't have that, they're great because, you know, they list, you know, they ask your advice, they ask your opinion, you're there to support them. And it's, it's what they're willing and comfortable to take on. Ultimately, I think, you know, from our perspective, once we are there and we're supporting them, you know, we kind of become that trusted partner. So it is easier for us to kind of impart what we know and help wrap around them. Um, It is a bit more challenging when it's somebody you don't know. And then, you know, from our perspective, you kind of have to gain their trust as well. So yeah, I do think that's important. But that's str- you're right, that, that structure doesn't really exist outside of MedAffairs, I guess. Yeah, I think I think I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, so another piece that Victoria kind of talked about, and Ben, you touched on this a little bit um just a couple minutes ago about the idea of like gathering information, learning from others, mentoring others, which sounds like an amazing thing that Victoria is very like proactively doing. I, I yeah. really loved when hearing her talk a little bit about that. Um, but I thought one of the threads that she also brought up was this idea of like learning from others, but being true to yourself. Um, and I thought that was such a great idea, right? It's, it's so easy when you're doing something new, you maybe hear from someone who's done it before successfully and think, okay, I need to apply that exact practice. And maybe with enough experience and wisdom, you kind of realize like, okay, what worked for them. Probably isn't exactly what's going to work for me, so I need to find a way to adapt. Right? How do I take the pieces from all these different people that have given me this great advice and make sure that I'm using it in a way that then works for me? Because we each have our own skill sets, we all have our own personalities, and so we have to play to our own strengths and 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 accomplish it in the way that that we know we can.
2: Yeah. No. I think I think I think that's what she said was is is actually super important. Just just make sure you do stay true to yourself because i've seen this you know with people that we've worked as so, well you know there's people that have been fantastic at what their job is you know they're fantastic investor facing and you you look you you know you observe them and you want to watch them just for that experience and then you don't want to fall into that pitfall of trying to be them because that kind of goes you know like the way that they may describe something you know learn yeah you know observe observe what you know how they're delivering it in a way but you know take that learning and apply it to how you would deliver something as well so i do think that, that 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 yeah stay true to yourself because if you try to be somebody else it, exactly. it doesn't necessarily work yeah no I, I that that was that that was good to hear actually just stay true to yourself i think that is important
0: maybe so maybe one one last thread we could bring up that we didn't really touch on yet, but I thought was really interesting was Victoria's kind of movement from large pharma into emerging biotech. And there's a couple of pieces there. One was around the out licensing um, and how some of that works. Um, And then the other piece was this idea of uh, the depth of knowledge that you need and how as a CMO at a biotech, you essentially need to be the expert in everything, right? And you need to get really deep in everything. Whereas when you are in a large pharma organization, you have this great vast team and breadth around you that you can rely on, right? So you really just need, as she said, the sound bites, right? You need to know their expertise and what the important part was. But then you are going to, you know, use that information however you need to leverage it, but you don't need to get as deep. Whereas in a biotech environment, you don't have all of that around you, right? So you do need to get that depth of information in order to be able to execute on, on your role. I don't know what, what your thoughts are on that. Uh,
2: I, I, I mean, I, I, I can say nothing other than wholeheartedly agree with her in the fact that, you know, when you switch from one to the other, it is true. Like you've kind of gone from being, you know, a person that that's a SME in one area, let's say for want of a better phrase, um, you know, to being the person that is the Jack of all trades as well. And, it is tough and you know, she's made the comment around CMC and you know, needing to get into the level of detail that she kind of got into. You know, as a CMO you don't necessarily need to know, but but you do need to know what the CMC strategy is. You do need to get more into the weeds as a CMO, because actually everything that they're doing from a manufacturing perspective, you know, which which lot is going to be useful for your toxicology, which can you do in human trials? That all needs to plan and stagger to what you're potentially doing from a development approach as well. And then different jurisdictions are going to have different requirements, you know, based on when product is released and what the testing is. You would never need to know that in in, in a larger industry, but you need to kind of know that actually there's a lot more there which has an impact on what you're doing. You know, before you're just that one cog as part of a larger machine. Now you're several cogs part of that machine so understanding which cog does what and how it actually impacts your delivery that does it doesn't necessarily take time to get used to it. just be aware of the fact that there's so much more to learn and people will ask you things that you know you wouldn't you know you don't you have that soundbite moment but you do need to go a few layers deep but also you know you should remember so it's, it's okay to say actually it's a really good question um i don't have that at the tip of my fingertips i'll get back to you depending on what setting you're in i do think that, that in that Again, going back to where CMOs fail. Sometimes CMOs, emerging CMOs, rather than just making that statement and just admitting, like, look, look, I don't know, I'll come back to you, they go off on a tangent and try and answer. That can sometimes right. have a detrimental impact as well. So yeah, you, and that yeah.
0: probably dovetails a little bit. And as you were you were describing that and the need to get depth, it almost feels like it could come in conflict conflict with the idea that we were discussing before about delegating and yeah. you need to have a team around you, you need to delegate, you're not going to be the expert in everything. You couldn't expect that you have to be the expert in everything. Obviously in a really small organization, that's more increasingly challenging, right? Because we know some yeah. environments, obviously CMO is the only person in the medical office initially. Um, so there you do, you know, there's no one to delegate to, but obviously as you build your team or you build your external advisors and leaning on you know, other uh, organizations, consultants, et cetera, that can support you, you then have others around you that you can delegate some of these activities to. And it seems like, you know, you need to find that. I don't know if you have suggestions there about it for finding the right answer there or tricks or things you've seen that have worked in terms of balancing between, you know, being able to delegate to others, but also making sure that you're in the details enough that you can help make the decisions, that you can, uh, you know, be the knowledge expert that Victoria was describing that you, you know, kind of do need to be as the amount.
2: Uh, and I think I, uh, I mean, if there was one simple solution, we probably wouldn't be sitting here, right? <laughs> yes, you know, they to that the question. But 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 I, I think it's it. You know, it, it's a culmination of of things. U- ultimately, you know, like if you are that one person, that is just going to be challenging. You you basically need to find the time, and you know understand you know just talk to as many people as you can I mean I'd advocate for additional support as soon as possible I realize that that may not be do- doable but you know that's that then generally is again going to be a function of time management there's going to be a need to time you know when you kind of start to educate yourself on things that you don't know but but that does become challenging because as the organization grows you're so used to being the font of knowledge it's hard for you to let go as well. So that, that does become a conundrum in itself. So my, my suggestion there is, is actually just ask for help earlier and just ask for that additional support. Because if you start going down that rabbit hole, it's very hard to get out. I think that's kind of that. If, if it's a team, you know, which does have some consultants or you do have some stuff, I would, I would leverage them as much as you can. I would, for me, you know, with the organization that we're working at the moment, I'm as transparent as I can be with them. You know, we have, It's a small team, but we have weekly CMO meetings as transparent with them and say, look, this is what's happening. This is what's going in the organization. This is where these questions are going to come. Investors are asking about X, you know, then they're asking about Y. I don't necessarily, you know, I'm making the team aware. I need your help. You know, give me, you know, give me as much information as you can, which is digestible, small bite-sized manageable chunks, which could help address that. Bring that, you know, together, have that in a forum so give us that information. So to me, it is, that's the delegation part. And it's basically running a team, a small team, giving them enough, you know, just being as transparent as you can be because they feel part of the team. They feel part of what's happening in terms of the development of the organization. But what you're also doing is, you know, you're bringing them along with you, but you're also learning, you know, it it, it then becomes a bi-directional discussion. And that's kind of where I get my insights from because then, you know, CEO or the president of the company asks me a certain question, I'll I'll know. And, you know, if I'm in a meeting and, you know, in this virtual world at the moment, you know, I know that I can put, you know, send somebody a message, whether it be through, you know, Slack or Zoom, you know, Teams chat or whatever it may be. Um, And because you've built that trust with them, they'll give you the answer. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think that to me, that's the way you... It's delegation via conversation, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I think it does, uh, you know, it's, it's all about communication, right? That's a exactly. key to teamwork yeah. and management is communication, right? And, uh, you know, making sure that you're working really closely and effectively with your organization so that you have the information that, that you need and that your team has the information that they need in order to be able to perform effectively.
2: And just acknowledge where you like. Just be honest with yourself. You know, and this is one part of saying truth to self. Like, look, I know where my gaps are. I I do. You know, sometimes they're a hard lesson to learn. Sometimes they're obvious. But ask for feedback from people, see how you're doing, and then you know the feedback that you get is like, okay, well that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Try and you know your behaviour then change that way. Just be be receptive to it, because the more the more feedback you seek, the, you know, the better you get. But again, that's trust building as well. But then that get gives you enough fuel to then say actually this is actually a gap uh, this is what probably needs plugging in general you know from an organizational piece um it, it all stems from communication but i do think it is about just being honest with yourself as well it's just you know i, I can't be everything to everyone as much as you'd love to be
0: yeah exactly i'm i'm and i'm i'm sure you would um <laughs> well maybe maybe that's a great place to uh to wrap up at it Um, It was great uh, talking to you and and debriefing a little bit on our conversation with Victoria, which I thought was a a, a really great episode. So um, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate the discussion.
2: Yeah, no, no worries. It it was genuinely great. You know, 25 years in academia and then seven in industry. I think, you know, it's been, I I personally think that that's the right thing. I mean, maybe it's because it mirrors what I did. But um, yeah, (laughs) I I think it gives you, I, I think the perspectives you gain, are invaluable in that sense. And the flexibility she talked about the one, you know, about the transferable skills. I think, yeah, she has a lot of that. It was good. It was a good listen. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Bennett. Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Emerging Biotech Leader, an SSI strategy podcast. Join us each month for more conversations with biotech leaders. If you'd like to help navigating the complexities of biotech, reach out to our team at ssistrategy.com. Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review.